Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, good morning again. My name is Patrick. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Covenant. And I want to invite you to turn either in your bulletin or in your Bibles to John chapter 11. If you're using the Pew Bible, this is on page 1143. If you're new here, we've been uh, working our way through the Gospel of John. And uh, we've been uh, trying to see uh, the whole purpose of John, which is how to become a disciple of Jesus, that we might believe in him and have eternal life. That's the purpose of John that we're told at the end. And so we've been looking at this. We come now to an interesting uh, transition point in the book. Most commentators uh, will agree that the book is divided up into two large sections. The first half ends in the verse immediately preceding our passage this morning. Uh, It says, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews. And most commentators agree that this closed what's sometimes called the the public ministry of Jesus. And we move into a a second section that begins at least in uh, chapter 13 with what's known as the farewell discourse and the passion week of Christ. That leaves us with John chapter 12, sort of this in-between. Some people put it with the first half. Some people put it with the second half. Others say it's a transition uh, chapter, and I I rather think that's the better way of looking at this, sort of as a saddle or a transition between these two sections. Regardless, uh, we come now to this uh, chapter 12, which is a real transition point in Jesus' ministry, and we see in this passage, uh, three scenes of what it means to be a disciple. So I invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's word, uh, beginning in John chapter 11, uh, verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining at table, with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. 
And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let us pray. Father, we ask <clears throat> now that as uh, we look at this passage that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to guide and direct us that we might not only understand but truly receive and feed by faith upon your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What does it mean uh, to be uh, a Christian, to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ? As a pastor, I've got the privilege uh, to talk to a lot of people about this question and what it looks like to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christian. Some people are looking for a solution to their problems, some for meaning. Uh, some people are uh, looking for a feeling. But the real issue is the question, what does it look like, what does it mean to truly be a believer of Jesus Christ and to follow after him as a disciple? When we ask that question, when we look at ourselves, if we're honest, some of us get it and some of us don't. And some of us have gotten it and we can say, well, at this point in my life, I really got what it means to be a Christian, but I've kind of lost it. It's kind of fuzzy to me now. It's not to mean that we aren't believers, but, but we've lost the clarity of what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Well, the good news is that whether you have never understood it <laughs> or whether you've understood it and it's gotten a little fuzzy for you, there's help. And one of the ways that God helps us regain or capture, even for the first time, the clarity of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to look at others who get it. And I think that's what we have before us today. We have three scenes of people who get it, who get Jesus, and who said yes. Before we look at that, uh, we should define our terms a little bit. What do we mean by a Christian? Well, what we don't mean is someone who's a member of a church or who likes religious things or who likes beautiful things or who's simply a good person. In fact, strictly speaking, this passage is not even about a Christian by that name. Uh, it's not used here. It's about disciples of Jesus. What's a disciple? Well, a disciple is one who knows Jesus as Savior and endeavors to follow him as Lord. It's someone who has come face to face with the reality of who Jesus is, accepted what he has said, and has said yes. Yes, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, and I'm going to endeavor to shape my life around you. I trust you, and I receive you as my Savior, and will endeavor to follow you as my Lord. The initial followers of Jesus were either called disciples or followers of the way. And it's not until Acts chapter 11 that we learn that the disciples were first called Christians. That's the term we use today. But we're, the better term is really a disciple, a follower of Jesus. 
Now, here Jesus was being followed by throngs of disciples. He'd been revealing himself to the crowds. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. He made a lot of amazing claims. He'd said, I'm a, the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. He'd done amazing things, turned water into wine, uh, given uh, light, uh, sight back to a blind man. And many people were believing. Many people were saying yes to Jesus and following him. Even the Pharisees are compelled to say, look, the whole world is going after him, right? Verse 19. And in the midst of this, we see these three simple pictures of what it means, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And so as we look at these, I think God is inviting us uh, to ask ourselves, where are we in these stories? The first scene uh, tells us that disciples of Jesus love him lavishly because they've been loved by Jesus lavishly. And the second scene tells us that disciples are willing to be a conduit of that love to other people. And the third scene, that disciples center their lives around the lamb who was slain. So let's look at these scenes. The first scene is of Mary and teaches us that disciples love Jesus lavishly because they've been loved by Jesus lavishly. Now, I should say at the outset, there's some disagreement. There's a lot of anointment, anointing scenes in the Gospels, and there are a lot of Marys in the Gospel, and not surprisingly, there's some disagreement <laughs> about which Mary is this and, and which anointing is this. Uh, I think, uh, and tradition says, that this uh, Mary and this anointing is the same as the Mary, and, or uh, not, well, she's not mentioned by name, but it's the same anointing that's mentioned in Luke chapter 7. And I agree with that. I think that, th that this is the same woman that's described there, so we're going to look at it that way. Now, this scene occurred at a dinner party. And it's not what you and I would think of as a dinner party. Um, it's, uh, there would have been a long affair. There would have been a low table. People would have been reclining with their head at the table and their feet away from the table. There would have been uh, a lot of people there They're milling around. Their homes weren't as sectioned off as they are now. So it, there would have been a lot of servants, a lot of people milling about, and maybe even open to the street where people could have seen from the street what was going on. Lots of people watching, lots of people observing, lots of people listening. And during this meal, Mary's there. In the other passage, she's called a woman of the city. She was a prostitute. Uh, prostitutes of the day carried around perfume. That was their advertisement. That was the way they communicated uh, what they were selling. And so uh, she would have had this, uh, this perfume. Uh, the expensive ointment that she had would have been worth about a year's wages. Uh, the story tells us that she comes up to Jesus uh, to his feet while he's laying down. If a married woman of that day let her hair down in public it would have been grounds for divorce. So you can imagine uh, the consequences of what she did next. <laughs> uh, she comes to Jesus at his feet. She takes the oil. She pours it on his feet uh, and uh, effectively quitting her job. And she wipes his feet with her hair. In Luke, we're told that she stood there weeping. She loved Jesus with all that she had. Uh, she gave him her life. Uh, she loved him with all of her life. She gave him her past. She gave him her present. And she gave him her future. She gave it all. 
She loved him with reckless abandon and did not care what the consequences were. Contrast this with Judas. Do you see the difference? She comes with love, overwhelmed. She gives everything. She's ravished. Judas is detached. He's cold. He's distant. She's passionate. He's analytical. She's engaged. He's detached. She's hands-on. He's standoffish. She is surrendered. He's reserved. She's weeping. He's calculating. She gets it. He doesn't. He has no love or compassion towards this woman, and uh, he believes he has nothing to learn from her. He wanted an impersonal religion, no tears, no touching. He wants a principle and not a person. He wants an example to follow, not a savior to love or a savior to love him. But not this woman. (laughs) Uh, She knew her sin. She knew her need for cleansing and forgiveness, and she knew that nothing less than the death of the Son of God would pay the debt for her, for you, and for me. Earlier, we saw the confession of Martha. When she was directly asked by Jesus, do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe this. But we don't hear those words from Mary, but we see it in her actions. She said yes with her actions. She comes to Jesus. She clings to him to receive life from him. What does she get? Well, she gets a redeemed past. Her sins are forgiven. And there were a lot of them, just like you and just like me. And he elevates her present. When Judas criticizes her, Jesus steps in and says, leave her alone. Can you imagine what this would have done to her? She was was an outcast, unclean, and Jesus steps in to her defense, and he gives her a hopeful future. um, In the other passage, uh, he tells her to go in peace. Uh, She renounced her past in, in order to embrace her future. Why was she anointing? Why was she weeping? Well, she gets it. <laughs> See, disciples of Jesus love Jesus lavishly because they've been loved by Jesus lavishly. That's scene one. Let's look at scene two. It's Lazarus. Um, And here we see that disciples not only love Jesus because they're loved by him, but they're willing to be a conduit of that love towards other people. Now, all of this activity was happening around Lazarus. Uh, He had been raised from the dead. Just a reminder, he was in the tomb for four days. Jesus comes and commands, Lazarus, come out. Dwight Moody said, it was a good thing that he qualified his command with, La- with Lazarus or all the dead would have come forth, <laughs> right? But now uh, it's after that and people were, were coming to see what had happened. They'd heard this story, now they're coming to see what had happened uh, in Lazarus' life to see if it was really true. Where's Lazarus? Well, Lazarus is with him. He's, he's one of those reclining at table. But then we also see verse 11, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And then verse 17, the crowd that had been there when, he, when they saw it happen, they were continuing to bear witness. You see, this is teaching us a principle that the work of grace in our lives is not only meant to benefit us, we're meant to be then a trophy of grace, an object of his affection 
so much that others are attracted to it. The love of God is meant to be shared and it's meant to be shared by those who have personally experienced that love themselves. It's interesting, uh, the text tells us that when Mary anoints Jesus' feet, John goes to the point of telling us that the aroma, the fragrance filled the, the house. It filled the whole area. It was so strong. And what does Paul tell us we are in 2 Corinthians? He says, we're the aroma of Christ. He wants that aroma to be spread through us. Verse 17 says they continued to bear witness. It's a good translation because the word really means to testify, to bear witness, to answer the question that was posed to them. The idea here is that the work of God's grace in our lives prompts the question from others, what happened to you? (laughs) Right? That's what they were asking to Lazarus. And he was saying, I was dead and now I'm alive. You're not going to believe the story. You see, Mary got it. Lazarus got it. He got the good news. What was the message that he got? He got the message that uh, though he was unworthy of God's love, yet in Christ he was totally righteous. He was totally accepted and loved by God unconditionally. He came to know the love of God personally and experientially. And if you believe what Lazarus believes, and if you saw what these people saw, if you experience what these people experience, you can't not tell people what's going on. If, we, if, we, if we're not willing to tell the story, we, can't, we say, well, you know, Christianity is a personal, private thing. I don't want to tell people, you know, that's, it's fine to believe in Christianity, just don't try to tell other people. If we say that, then what we're saying is not only that Christianity is not important, we're saying it's not true. We're saying that there's no truth so important that it's worth losing my friends, my job, my reputation, the respect of other people. In order to do this, we've got to go, we've got to be willing to go deeper into the love of God ourselves. We, Mary and Lazarus had a story to tell only because they had said yes to the relentless love of Jesus in their lives. We have to be willing to let God love us that deeply. I have a good friend, uh, Laurie and I do, uh, some friends, and uh, he's a in the ministry himself, and his oldest child uh, did not grow up to love Jesus. He wandered far. Uh, he, he caused a lot of damage to himself and to a lot of those that loved him. But uh, that was his teenage years and his young adult years. And as he began uh, to get older in his mid-20s, he finally said yes. And he called his parents one day, and all he had to say was, Mom and Dad, I've decided to let God love me. You see, he knew that once he opened that door, life would never be the same. Because the love of God comes in, and it changes us. It turns our lives upside down. A life that's been that's received and accepted the love of God is completely turned around because the love of God is powerful it comes with a power that changes us and enables us to love others and enables us to reach out to them even those that hate us we need to ask ourselves do we truly want to be so totally forgiven that a completely new way of living becomes possible
Do we want to be that loved? Do we want to be so loved that we break away from our deep-rooted rebellion against God and surrender ourselves absolutely and totally to him so that a new person can emerge? The man or woman that God intended us to be. Receiving forgiveness, receiving the love of God requires a total willingness to let God be God and love us that deeply. See, the disciples are willing to be a conduit of his grace to others. And then scene three, disciples are willing to center their lives around the lamb who was slain. This is a familiar scene, it's Palm Sunday. And what were they acknowledging? They were acknowledging that Jesus is king. What's a king? Well, in the ancient Near East, a king protected you and he gave you a code to live by. He gave you a life. He gave you a path to follow. And every one of us was made for a king. Some of us look for that king uh, in the world. We look to money. We look to career and politics and other things that this world can give you. But these people, it's, it's difficult to overstate what these people were doing. They were saying, Jesus, you're my king. <laughs> you're the one that I look to for safety and a life to live. To take Jesus uh, as their king meant nothing less than, than the surrender of their lives to him, to follow him. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says as much, if we read down into verse 26, a little bit, a little bit lower after this passage, Jesus says it. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Do you want to know what do you want to know what it means to take me as your king? It means to follow me, total surrender. Disciples center their lives around the lamb who was slain. The reality is that Christianity is not a doctrine, it's a person. And we take him and then we follow him. We cling to him and then we follow him even if that following leads to the cross. His simple, crude, glorious, offensive message is simply this. Follow me. Just follow me. Follow me to the heart of the Father. Follow me back into his presence. Follow me to the cross. Follow me out of the grave. Follow me home. Many of the original audience would have followed him to the cross, his cross and their cross. And they were willing to do it. And Jesus is asking us, are we willing to do that? More people have died in the, for their faith in the 20th century than all previous 19th centuries combined. It's about double. The previous 19th centuries, uh, we, can, we estimate that there were 14 million martyrs. The 20th century alone saw approximately 26 million. One of these was a young man in Rwanda who was uh, cornered and his, his aggressors were trying to get him to renounce Christ or else die. He refused to renounce Christ, and he was murdered on the spot. Uh, the night before, he had written the following commitment, which was found in his room. It said this, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. 
I'm finished with and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean into his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted in prayer, and labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. Disciples of Jesus love because they've been loved. Uh, they're willing to let that love spill out into the lives of others, and they're willing to take Jesus at king, as king, even if it means their own cross. So where are you in this passage? Where am I in this passage? Maybe Mary, who's saying yes to the, being the one that's loved by Jesus. Or maybe Lazarus, who's saying yes to being used by God in the lives of others, openly and honestly telling their story. Or maybe the crowd, Maybe one of the faces in the crowd who's saying yes to Jesus as king, even if it means the cross. Well, we can't leave this story without going, I think, back to Mary and why she was crying. I think there may have been another reason she was crying <laughs> and weeping. Um, Jesus says as much when he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Uh, you see, bodies were prepared for burial uh, with perfume and I think even though many of his disciples didn't understand that Jesus had to die Mary did and she trusted it she said she knew that the only way that she could get home and that you and I can get home is to trust the cross of Christ and the work that he did there and she said yes even to that what does it mean to be a disciple a disciple is one who said yes Yes, I'll let you love me. Yes, I'll let you use me. Yes, I'll follow you, uh, even to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us in Christ Jesus, a love that took him to the cross, that cost him everything, cost you everything. And um, we thank you that because of that, we can be called your own, and we can be called the ones that are loved by you. Help us to believe that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Covenant, please visit covenantpress.com.